Thanks. You can have a seat. All right. Good evening, everybody. Hey, can we give God praise for our worship team one more time? That was awesome. So good. We are so blessed uh, by them. And Jed leads uh, just a great team of folks. So many uh, creative, talented folks here in our congregation that you see that this year uh, coming alive as we enter into this Advent season. Not just uh, the band and the musicians, of course, but artists in a variety uh, of forms. Kristen from our creative team uh, is up here tonight. She's going to be doing a little bit of painting as we're now in this second weekend of Advent. If you didn't grow up in the church, we talked a little bit last week, this word Advent, the from the Latin adventus, literally means the coming or the arrival of Jesus and how this season of the church year, this four weeks leading up to Christmas that we spend waiting. And so the creative team has done a, a collaborative painting that each uh, different member of that team is painting uh, on that each weekend of Advent. And so as you look at our Advent wreath over here, which maybe some of you have are done that tradition every year, we light those candles. And last week we lit the hope candle. Uh, this week we're lighting the peace candle. And so Kristen's painting that piece on there uh, tonight. And you're going to see that painting continue to come together uh, over the next several weeks. So there's a little bit more of an incentive to come to Christmas Eve services uh, as they're going to take that and bring it all together. And you'll see that painting uh, come to life even more. So we're thankful for that. And just uh, a, a reminder that this season is a season of waiting, uh, a season of patience and waiting for that moment when God's people saw God literally interrupt human history. And so as we get started tonight, I just want to get you the brainwaves going a little bit. I know it's later in the day. It gets darker earlier, so I want to get you thinking a little bit. How many of you just by a show of hands just love getting interrupted? Anybody? Okay, one of you. That's great. There's always, there's always one uh, odd one there, but not many, right? You might think that is kind of an odd question, but when you think about it, life is full of interruptions, Life is full of interruptions, some of them big, some of them small, and we all handle interruptions in our life differently. Uh, I want to think about the way that different people respond to winter. Uh, we live in Iowa, folks, and I saw these two memes on uh, Facebook this past week. There's people that when a few flurries come in the air, there's people that stare out the window and say, and so it begins, the long, dark winter. And then some of you are like Mr. Elf there, and when there was like three flurries in the air last year week, you were like, it's snowing, hot chocolate, put on the fire, let's drink eggnog and sing Christmas songs all day long and take work off because there's three flurries, right? And some of you probably fall in one of those categories or somewhere in between. The interruption of winter affects all of us a little bit differently. If you are a parent, you know what it means to be interrupted. How many of you have been a parent? I guess you still are a parent, right? Or a parent right now. You have kids in and out of the house. Yeah, you know what it's like to be interrupted, especially when they're younger, right? For those of you that are younger parents, you know the constant every minute seemingly interruption of mom, 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 dad, dad, mom, right? There was one time last week, our kids are two and four. They, were, they had like connived this up in their head that they were going to alternate uh, aggravating us and say like, mom, dad, dad, mom, dad, mom. Like they're just going back and forth like they worked on that together. The power of an interruption is very important in the way that we respond to them. Last week, well, it's a couple weeks ago, uh, Caleb was up, our four-year-old was up playing in his room, and he's kind of a mischievous guy. Tiffany and I were down trying to have a moment of peace to clean the kitchen in our spare time that we have, and we're like, he's fine. He's up there. He's got plenty of toys and things to color. What could possibly go wrong? <clears throat> 
And it was really quiet, and so when you have a four- and a two-year-old, silence is not good. Loudness is good. Uh, quietness is not always good. And he keeps calling down, Mom! Mom! Dad! Dad! you got to come up! I need your help! I need your help! And we're like, come on, you're fine. Like, you've just been up there for five minutes. we got to clean the kitchen. And so we kept saying no. And he just kept coming down halfway down the stairs, a little bit farther down the stairs to interrupt us again and again. Mom! Dad! Mommy! Dad! you got, you got to you got to come up. I really need you to come up. I need your help. No, wait, wait. We did that like probably five or six times. We go back and forth. And finally, he comes down. He says, Mommy, Daddy, you have to come down. You have to come down. We haven't seen him yet. Physically, we've just heard his voice. And so we walk up to his room. He's standing outside, and he flings the door open. And then he says, surprise. And we like look around like, what? And he goes, me. And we look at our four-year-old son, and he has covered every inch of his body that is not covered by clothes in black marker. And I said, Caleb, where did you get that black marker? Because you don't, you have crayons in your room, but you don't have markers. You go, oh, it's the Sharpie that's on the shelf. You mean the permanent black marker Sharpie. Oh, yeah, it was great. And he's like all over his face, his arms, his legs, his feet, his hands, his neck, everywhere covered by black Sharpie marker. And I said, Caleb, why in the world would you do that? And he just looked at me and said, well, Dad, when you kept not coming, I ran out of paper. So what else was I supposed to do? So he just said, I just to do it on myself. So about 17 bubble baths later, we got it all off, and he's back to Caleb. The moral of the story is don't put interruptions off forever, or your child will paint themselves. You need to respond sometimes to the interruptions of life. Not all of them are bad. A lot of times we see interruptions in our lives as purely negative, but whether positive or negative, the curveballs that life throws our way make us who we are. They are a part of our story. We've talked about this a lot before, that we are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners. We are products of the interruptions that happen to us in our lives, but we don't have to be prisoners. We don't have to let these things define us. But as you think about your story, what interruptions have come your way? You're young, and things are going along as planned, and for some of you, all of a sudden, mom and dad don't love each other anymore, and you learn this word called divorce. Or you're going along and you finally get your driver's license and all of a sudden it's your first car accident. Or maybe on a happier note, you're going along and you go to college and you meet your future spouse and someday you remember the joy of experiencing when you found out you're going to have your first baby or you or someone you love gets the diagnosis that you never wanted to get. You lose a loved one. Maybe you lose your job or you discover finally the job that you were created for. Your grown children make an unexpected decision that's painful. For many of you, your story of coming to faith in Jesus Christ was an interruption. You didn't expect that, but for a lot of you, maybe you showed up at Hope here one time. You're like, I'm just going to come because somebody invited me and everybody goes to Hope because it's the big church, you know, and I'm going to come here, but I don't really expect God to do anything. And then you came here and you've been here ever since. God divinely intervened in your story and interrupted your life. And whether positive or negative, these interruptions don't leave us the same. They make us who we are. And no one knows that better than a teenage girl from Nazareth. At its heart, the Christmas story began with a divine interruption, not just into Mary's life, but into the entire course of human history that was changed 
forever. I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful for the interruption of our story tonight. Go ahead and take a look as we introduce Mary. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. She was growing into a teenager and was living then in the obscure village of Nazareth in Galilee. She gathered the grain during the day and tended the lamp laid into the watches of the night. Her father knew the dedication of her work, her mother the kindness of her heart, her friends the curve of her smile. She stood on the threshold of womanhood. Among all the girls in the village, she had been noticed, chosen, betrothed, a child bride before whom lay only possibility. Her father could walk with pride in the city gates. Her mother could rest in the comfort of her daughter's future security. But then he came, unexpected, unannounced, spoke openly and without shame of pregnancy, virginity, and a son. Things men never discussed, and women only whispered about behind closed doors. She questioned him about the particulars, but not about the promise. She knew the prophecies, and the angel's words rang true. She would be scorned and rejected, labeled an adulteress in whispers and glances. There would be no more carefree walks to the market, no more happy trips to the well. Four hundred years her people had waited for hope, but God had been silent. Now he had spoken. The wait was about to end. Forty weeks. And then, Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know about you, but when I watch that, it kind of feels like the trailer to a movie that's coming out or something, right? And best of all, it's true. This is a part of the greatest story of all time, and the God of the universe is the producer and the director, and who does he choose as the lead actress? The most unlikely character ever. And that's where we pick up our story tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 1 if you're not there uh, already. If you need a Bible, again, we encourage you to grab one. Our hope is that everybody come walking through those doors every weekend would have a Bible in their hands. Uh, If you need one, uh, that is our gift to you. So Luke chapter 1 is going to be about three-fourths the way through your Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the Christmas story we find today is in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember that Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. You may have heard of him as well. God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, the region there. Verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, think about this for a second, okay? Take, take yourself out of the earthly story and up into the courtyards of heaven, okay? For 400 years, essentially, biblically, God has been essentially silent. There hasn't been any activity. God hasn't moved, it would seem. So you're God, and you have 400 years to plan an invasion into the world, a way to defeat evil forever, to bring light into the darkness, to rescue your people, and you're God, right? And so nothing is impossible. There's no strategy that's off limits. So what would you do? 
So imagine that you're in the courtyard of heaven and God comes down from his, I don't know how it works. God comes down from his throne and all the angels are hanging around. He says, guys, come on, come on, come on, gather around, gather around. So they all kind of gather around like God's a baseball coach or something like that. Gather around and they all take a knee around God and he says, angels, I finally got it. I got the plan. Here's how we're going to do it. And if you're the angels, you're thinking like, we're going to form this huge army and kick out the Romans and Caesar. And we're going to, you know, maybe there'll be a big natural disaster and we'll take out all the sinners and evil people and God will come and he'll reign forever. And God says, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to save the world. I'm going to become an infant and I'm going to be born helpless and weak and completely dependent on a 15-year-old girl from the middle of nowhere. What do you think? <laughs> Crickets, right? And all the angels are going, has he lost his mind, right? What is he thinking? What is going on? I would imagine if you and I were there, we would be thinking the same thing if we didn't know how the story ends. You and I know how the story ends, but put yourself there in that moment. And I think, if we're honest, that's probably how a lot of us respond to the interruptions in our lives as well. What? What is God thinking? What is going on here? Shock and anxiety. And yet, as we look at Mary's story, as we dig a little bit deeper into the story of Mary and Joseph tonight, I think we discover some incredible wisdom about how to handle the interruptions that happen in our own lives. And so the story continues in verse 28. The angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And so what I want to challenge you tonight is just to take a step back. So many of you have heard this story read time and time again. I was telling somebody this past week, they said, is it easy or difficult to preach on Christmas? And I said, really hard because it's the same story every year and yet easy because we need to hear the message over and over. But I want you to hear this in a brand new way. Some of these phrases that you're like, yeah, you know, the angel comes to Mary, yada, 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 God saves the world. Well, not yada, yada, yada. There's more here. There's some treasure here. So look at this. Verse 28. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Don't miss that important detail. The angel tells Mary, you are highly favored. And I think for two reasons. The first one is because she's been chosen by God. You are favored by God tonight. You need to know this. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are primarily. God's favor does not come on us as if we need to earn his love. Somehow Mary was favored by God because she was a daughter of the king. But secondly, I believe that she was highly favored because God had been watching her. For the, the years that she had been alive, 14, 15, 16, we're not, uh, don't know for sure, but that's about when girls, young girls, would get uh, engaged to be married to much older men, which was more culturally acceptable in those days. And God was well pleased with her. So why would that be? We don't know if Mary had perfect attendance at the synagogue or, you know, she got all her stickers there in a row or if Mary prayed every day. Or I believe we can tell a lot about why Mary was highly favored by God, a lot about her heart by the way that she responds to this interruption from God. Skip down to verse 38, just to the end of the story for a moment. After all of this, and you know the story, the angel comes and, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Most of us would be laying on the ground shaking, freaked out, right? And yet Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. 
Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. You ever thought about what an incredibly mature response for a teenage girl? Now, I have nothing against teenage girls. I'm going to have one someday, and I hope she doesn't act like she does now when she's two uh, and screams at me and gives me dirty looks, although I've told that continues. But that's what most teenage girls uh, are like, right? Most teenage girls, you wouldn't expect, they are the model of maturity, right? But here's Mary as an early teenager, and I'm not saying there wasn't some questioning and some struggle to get there, and we'll come back to that. But in how we respond, how she responds, we learn two things in that verse 38. Number one, Mary had a rock-salad understanding of her identity in Christ. What 15-year-old girl responds and says, I am known primarily not for what I do or what for men think of me, but because I am a servant of the Lord? Is your primary identity what you do or what other people think of you or people's perception of you? Or do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a son of the Most High King or a daughter of the Most High King? And that is the primary identity that you take to the world with you. And so when you're dating or you're engaged or you're married or you're building friendships or you're joining a small group, you're not going to all those places half-hearted trying to get validation from other people. Mary knew who she was. I am a servant of the Lord. That's my primary identity, number one. And number two, she is quick to accept God's agenda. Are you? She's quick to respond to God's agenda. Those things only happen in someone that has done the hard work of maturing. And, and to be honest, I think Mary done some getting over herself. Do you know what I mean? If she hadn't gotten over herself... She would have responded in a much different way. She is surrendering to God. And what's powerful is that Mary did this during her teenage years. In, in, in a younger season of her life where many people kind of write off faith and, and write off getting serious about anything, to be honest. Yes, being 15 then is probably different than being 15 now, but don't miss the point. The first thing we can learn from this story about how to handle the interruptions in life is, number one, embrace your season. Embrace whatever season of life you happen to be in right now. And because we're a very diverse church in a lot of different ways, there's a lot of different seasons of life that are represented uh, out here tonight. Some of us are young, and some of us are uh, farther along in our journey. See what I did there? And filled, <laughs> filled with lots of wisdom. So it would have been very, very easy for Mary to be living a lifestyle that's about her and about ignoring God, until, and she could put that off until she was older. But get this, she didn't let her season of life dictate her intentionality in pursuing God. Let me say that again. She didn't let her current season of life dictate her intentionality in following God. And because of that, when the interruption came, her heart was much more in a place of receptivity, right? So if she wouldn't have taken the time to understand God's heart and to know him, it would have been very easy to hear this kind of news and to resort to bitterness or anger, to assume that God was coming in and just ruining her life. But instead, her heart was soft and it was teachable. And so Mary's season that she was embracing was her teenage years, but I wonder, are you embracing the season that you're in right now, whether you think that that season is ideal or not? Often you and I, in a much more practical in nowadays sense, the danger is that we can fall into this trap of thinking, well, 
You know, once that busy season of work is over, then I'll really get serious about church or my faith. Or, well, you know, this is really isn't an ideal season to lead anything uh, right now. The kids are really demanding, and once they're older, then maybe I'll kind of get reengaged with my faith. And, you know, we're maybe we're in a season of no kids right now, and so we think we're just going to kind of take a step back and just coast for a little bit. And, and God should be okay with that. And all of that, all of that thinking makes sense in a, in a worldly perspective. It would make sense if God's mission was solely based on your readiness. If God's mission was solely based on your readiness, but it's not. What Mary's story shows us is never hit pause when God's hitting play. Never hit pause in your life when God's hitting play. Play, like imagine the remote control that controls your life, right? And you guys are fighting over the remote and you're trying to hit pause and God's saying, no, I have things for you right now. Live, live these days. Don't suck it up and coast through these days. Live these days. These are the days. Not out there somewhere. These are the days. What if what you see as an unideal season of your life is actually what God sees as fertile ground for your transformation? What if what you see as a completely unideal season of your life, not now, God, not now, I got a lot going on. God says it looks like you do. You should probably have a little bit less going on because all that other stuff is distracting you from what really matters. If God wanted to interrupt your life today, in any kind of way, in a good way, in a bad way, would you be open to it, even if it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable? I love how Psalm 37 talks about this. It's one of my favorite passages, and it's the, N, the uh, New American Standard Version. So this is really odd, right? So I don't bring this one out very often, but I love the way they translate it. Psalm 37, verse 3. Let's re- read this nice and loud together. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. This is the same verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Anybody ever heard that verse before? A lot of people hear that verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, which means I just need to try really, 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 really hard to be a really good Christian. And then if I'm good enough, then God will give me what I want and bless me in my life. The reason I love this translation of it, one, I think it's closer to the original, uh, the original Hebrew, but secondly, I think it speaks right into the way that Mary's living her life. She's cultivating faithfulness. Are you embracing the season of life that you're in right now, cultivating, when I think of that, turning over the soil of your heart so that it's prepared whenever God wants to come and plant something in your life? Or is your heart hard? It's the difference between God trying to throw seed in a garden of your heart versus the sidewalk of your heart. Are you hard-hearted or are you able to receive that? Are you cultivating faithfulness? Mary had learned to cultivate faithfulness to prepare for that interruption when it came. And so the question in our lives is not if interruptions are going to come, it's how do we respond when they come? And instead of embracing them like Mary, I think if we're honest, if we can just laugh at ourselves a little bit tonight, a lot of us, when we experience interruptions, we probably respond a little bit more like this guy. Do you remember a couple years ago when uh, this uh, really funny video came out of the, the British Broadcasting uh, Corporation, the BBC came out, and there was this professor that was doing this very serious interview in his home office, and he forgot to lock the door. 
And this is on national TV, and this just went viral on YouTube and the internet and everything. And so this guy is doing a very serious interview, and watch how he handles this unexpected interruption on live TV. Let's take a look. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift it, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. Pardon me. My apologies. What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months to a year. Oh, my word. That is 45 <laughs> seconds of pure glory. Pure glory right there. Okay, first, a couple things. Let's just dissect this clip for a second. Let's break it down. First of all, I love how the wife is desperately trying to pretend that the entire world is not watching, right? She doesn't just walk in and close the door. She has to crawl in and grab it like some army ranger or something like that, right? Secondly, did you see the stiff arm tactic? Parents, you ever, parents, you ever used one of those, right? I'm not going to pr pretend that you're there. I'm just going to give you the stiff arm uh, like that. And then a, like after the third or fourth attempt, you finally get get the sigh. Did you see the sigh of like, oh man, I'm going to get roasted for this one, right? You just see the, the sigh of like, really God, right? Is this really happening? And I wonder for us if we're no different than him when the interruptions of life come. It's not, oh my word, why are my kids interviewing, uh, interrupting my interview? But you ever had one of those moments of, oh God, why now? This is the worst thing that could have happened, whatever it is. And for him, I think it stopped at annoyance, like he was smiling, he was, you know, getting over himself a little bit there, right? Like, it's okay, I have kids, and things like that. But I think for some of us, the interruptions cut a little bit deeper, and they're harder. And the danger is that the annoyance turns to bitterness and anger and eventually cynicism towards life. And some of you are there. You have had so many inconvenient interruptions in your life that you have kind of bought into this way of looking at the world that maybe the world's out to get you, or worse yet, the understanding of the character of God is that God's out to get you. Why did this have to happen? Why did that have to happen? And we give, uh, we give room for cynicism to creep into our heart, which is a very terrible and ultimately exhausting way to live. But that's the way that some of you are approaching life. The problem is, that's a terrible way to live. And what we see in Mary's story, secondly, the way that she handled interruptions, she embraced the mess. Turn to your neighbor right now, just give him a big old smile and say, neighbor, embrace the mess. Just tell him that right now. Embrace the mess. Okay? You think your life is messy. Take a look at the mother of Jesus, okay? Verse 34, so the angel comes and tells her that she's going to bear this child. Uh, and, and Mary responds, how can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and be called the Son of God. And I would just imagine that Mary just went, oh, God, how could you? Are you kidding? I can't believe it. This can't be true. God, how could you do this to me? I'm going to go and write a four-page rant on Facebook. 
that's not how the story goes. But she had every right to. Imagine being a 15-year-old girl in that society and trying to explain first to Joseph. Imagine how that conversation went. Uh, so, I'm pregnant. Joseph is saying, um, okay, uh, by who? Oh, you know, um, the Holy Spirit? Like, what? And then trying to explain that, and all of a sudden, you're getting bigger, and you're going to have a baby, and everybody's looking at you, and they're asking, like, wait a minute, you're 15, and you're engaged to him, but you did the, he's not the father, and oh, God did it? Yeah, that's really supposed to make sense, right? And in a world where they stone women for being adulterers, man, you think your life is a mess. Mary's life was a mess. And so I don't want you to get this picture of her like, here's Holy Mary without any issues. Life was a mess. And although she's shaken, what I want you to see here, it doesn't completely derail Mary's trust in God. It doesn't derail the whole thing. Some of you, if you're a ship and the wind just blows a little bit in your life, and you shake a little bit, you're like, oh my word, life is falling apart. God doesn't love me. That's why scripture says that God is an anchor for our souls. That when the interruptions come, it doesn't have to derail our trust in God. Later in the story, Mary actually gets to the place where she delights in the fact that there is a human life inside of her. And she's able to laugh and delight in that baby along with her cousin Elizabeth. Now, this is not to say that Mary didn't have doubts and fears and wrestle with God. I think that's what's so powerful about the Bible. It's what's so powerful about the Christmas story. These are not stained glass characters. These are people like you and me that doubt God and question God and wrestle with God. And there are probably plenty of nights where Mary laid awake, you know, feeling the kicks of God. Like, enough with the interruptions, God. I've been interrupted once, right? Wondering, God, why me? Why not the teenage girl down the street? Why did it have to be me? And I love what the opening video said that we watched a little bit earlier. Mary questioned the particulars, but never God's promises. Mary questioned the particulars, but never God's promises, even in those low moments, even in the, in the valleys. And I want you to hear this as we look back on our lives and the messes that we found ourselves in, and some of you are in the middle of a mess right now. You're right in the thick of it. And if you can just take a step back and get some perspective and think with me for a second. When you look back at the, the trials and the interruptions and the messes in your life, we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know God in the valleys. Right? We enjoy God in the mountaintops, but we get to know him in the valleys. Again, it's easy to trust God when everything's great and you can come to church and sip your coffee and smile and say everything's fine. But it's by walking with him, not giving way to bitterness and cynicism in life, but it's by walking with him through the messes and trusting his heart and his promises that our intimacy with God grows. I don't wish that on anybody, but whenever I meet with anybody or counsel anybody and they're struggling and they're going through a mess, I, I, I weep with them, I empathize with them, and at the end of the meeting, I try to always say, God is up to something in your life. You may not fully understand it right now, but God is up to something. So how was Mary able to respond the way that she did? It was not the power of positive thinking. I will tell you that. It's not, well, I'm Mary, and they're going to write a Bible about me someday, so I should probably respond in a holy way. 
It wasn't the power of positive thinking. It was the power of gospel thinking. She embraced what I would call the upper story. It's important to know that in every story of the Bible, we talked about this several years ago when we did the story Bible as a church and went through that. It's almost like every story in the Bible we can see from two perspectives. One of them is the lower story from our human perspective. There is a teenage girl that is pregnant and we don't know who the father is, okay? That's the lower story. That's what we can see. But there's also an upper story, and no, these aren't just for this. The kids' Christmas program is tomorrow. But for the sake of illustration, there's an upper story from God's perspective that he can see things that we can't. And in the lower story, when everybody's freaking out and wondering, God, what are you doing? From an upper story perspective, God says, I know exactly what I'm doing. Not just in Mary's life, but in your life. This is all a part of my plan to rescue the planet. Do you have a lower story perspective about your life or an upper story perspective? And throughout scripture, it's only when the characters caught a glimpse of the upper story that they found perspective and ultimately joy and peace right in the middle of their mess. Not when the mess is cleaned up, right in the middle of their mess. And so later on in the story, after meeting with Elizabeth, Mary responds with what we know as the Magnificat, this beautiful song. And she responds, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The final thing we learned from Mary about handling the interruptions in our lives, Mary embraced the upper story. Mary decided to take the blinders off and look around her a little bit. And instead of living cynical and bitter at God, she realizes, you know what? This isn't an ideal. This isn't what I asked for. This isn't the interruption that I wanted. But I'm a, my, my, myself and, and my ancestors, we're a part of this story of God. And he's been pursuing my ancestors for thousands of years. And he has always been faithful. And maybe God's primary goal for my life is not to just be happy and be comfortable. But maybe God's primary purpose for my life is to find my purpose and thus discover the deeper joy. And maybe it is for you as well. You want to get in the Christmas spirit? Ask God for the upper story perspective on whatever circumstances you're facing in your life today. Pray this prayer, God, rescue me from an individualized, self-centered approach to life and open my eyes to the needs around me. Open my eyes. And I know that in all of this, it would be so easy to think, well, Mary just nailed it. I mean, she is just the epitome of biblical morality and character, and everything is amazing. And she just took this divine interruption in stride, because after all, she's Mary. I mean, in the Catholic Church, she's a saint. People pray to her, right? We don't, but some people do. She's Mary. But remember, at one point, she was Mary person that probably sat in the synagogue and wondered, this is life, and I'm pretty sure that God's never going to do anything significant through me. I'm just Mary. And some of you are believing that about your life right now. You think your best days are behind you. God says, don't hit pause. 
when I'm hitting play. I have so much more to do through you. She was just Mary, and it's easy to forget that just like any other young mother, she wrestled with the same doubts and fears that we all do when God interrupts our lives. And so as we close today, I wanted you to see just kind of a different take in this final video of Mary's story, as if her story was being told through a young mom, well, that you might run into down the street. And as you watch this, receive it. Receive the Christmas story in a brand new way. Let's take a look. As long as I can remember, we'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for us. My family, our tribe, our whole nation. I always knew that he'd come, but... <laughs> well, let's be honest, it's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl from Nazareth. And everybody knows that not much good comes from Nazareth, never has. Angel had come to the wrong house with his announcement. But if that's what God wanted, well, who was I to tell him he was wrong? And Joseph, well, God bless that wonderful man. He could have joined in with everybody else. He could have had me sent away. He could have even had me killed. But he just never broke the promise to marry me. And so when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, I was honored to ride by his side. Even with heartburn and bloated cankles and nine months of pregnancy behind me. <laughs> you know those women who try different things to induce labor, like going on frequent walks or eating spicy foods? What they should do is go on a bumpy 70-mile trip to Bethlehem not long after I got there, and I'd never done this myself, but even I know it was time. And with every wave of pain, I tried to ignore the fact that my family wouldn't be there to help me, and that I'd be bringing this baby into the world without the familiarity of home. When Jesus finally came, I forgot all of that, though. I just wrapped him in cloths and tried to make the most comfortable bed I could for him with the only thing I had, which was an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I couldn't stop staring at him. angel had told me about. My heart was so full, I couldn't even find words big enough to express it. I know I'm not the first young mother to bring a child into this world. It's always been that way. But as I look down at my son, Redeemer. I knew that he would change everything 
because he'd already changed me. So my prayer for each of you in these weeks leading up to Christmas is to let this baby who became a man, who is our Savior, change you as well. To let his love for you all the way in, for it to be as close as he was to his mother that night. My prayer is that when, not if, when he interrupts your life in these next few weeks, which I pray that he does in a good way, that you will embrace the season of life that you're in, that your heart would be prepared, that you would embrace the mess and know that you can trust God even in the most difficult of times that you're facing, and finally, that you would embrace the upper story, not just what you can see from your perspective, but that you could embrace what God might be doing that you can't quite understand right now. That's my prayer for you. Don't miss Christmas. Let's stand and pray together.